He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. This is the coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. In the transparent truth. <laughs> welcome, welcome. You now listen to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. I'm here with my guy, GB, Greg Biggins. What up? What up, Keith? How you feeling today, baby? I'm feeling extra special today. I'm feeling extra buzzed up today. Hey, man, we got a loaded show. We got a super, super interview with special player with USC and his father. We got an in-studio guest. But before we get to that, we got a lot of recruiting notes and recruiting updates, tons of commits, tons of offers. Let's get right to it. You know, honestly, I was hoping to just get two special guests like you mentioned. Go ahead and mention those names real quick. Or I, I, I don't think so. No, let's keep, it, let's keep, 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 keep it low. Let's keep it low. But there was so much recruiting action this past week. I, I thought it felt like a December or January signing day weekend coming up, but it wasn't. We're here almost pushing August. How about JT Daniels? Let's talk with him. 2019 quarterback commit, maybe the number one guy in the country for his class, quarterback-wise, committed to University of Southern California. He's going to USC. Final Four also included Michigan, Stanford, one more school whose name is escaping me. But it doesn't matter if he's going to USC. He's, anyway. going to USC. he's going to USC. He's fighting on. How do you feel about JT and that fit for him at USC? But they listen, spread pro style, JT, elite arm strength, elite accuracy, big time leader, um, great intangible. He's just a guy that can make all the throws, got the live arm, and, and shows a maturity beyond his years. Beyond his years. And it was Washington. My apologies to the Huskies. I love the dog family. That was the four school. It's like we've been talking about JT for so long. He's got two more years to go. And that was a big reason why he said he committed. He wants to get going as a recruiter. He wants the 18th and the 19th classes to be a part of what he's about. So JT's going to be putting on his recruiting hat. Uh, he starts fall practice this week, and he wants to get this decision out of the way. How about the University of California in Berkeley? They had a great weekend as well uh, with three new commitments. D.B. Chagosi Anusium, one of my favorite names, one of my favorite corners. Long, lean, 6'2 kid. I know you like comparisons. I see a lot of Kevin King in his game, former Washington nice. Husky. I saw him at Bishop O'Dowd High School, and this is a guy who was really, really thin, real skinny, but he could run. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a thick kid who was 6'2". He was a lean kid, so he can stay at corner. He's not going to bulk up and move to safety. He's a corner all the way, talking about Chagosi now. All of 6'2", some at the UCLA camp. Probably the best DB there in terms of performance-wise. He had a great time there, a great showing. Uh, was at Cal this past weekend, and he chose to commit to Cal over his final two, three, which included UCLA and Notre Dame. Those were his final three schools. Not bad. How about this? A Nambi Asamoa comparison? Not bad. Runs better, though. Maybe, maybe he's runs a 4 or 5 guy. Nambi wasn't anywhere near that. You know that, and I know that. Love you, Nambi. I know you listen to the show. We're going to get you on the show one of these times, Nambi. No question. But Nambi was about as close to a four or five as I am right now. Maybe a little closer, but not by much. <laughs> but I do I, I do think he can go to Cal and have the same type of impact that sure. Nambi had, for sure. Uh, also, Will Craig, who made the opening finals. He was a guy with, again, national offers. Again, kind of came down to Notre Dame, was heavily involved. Uh, UCLA, I think the Oregon Ducks were probably his runner-up, but Will Craig, a true tackle. It is hard to find true tackles. It's no like question. Nowadays, you know, it just if you can find a guy who can move and in space and have that lateral feet mobility, you got to lock him up. And you know, right now, I, I think Justin Wilcox is doing a great job keeping some of the Northern California Northern California guys home. Miles Owens, uh, also from Bishop Dad, my guy Napoleon Kaufman, the, the head coach over there, doing a great Shout job. Out to so, Nap. 
Miles is a basketball background, which I love for a tackle. I love having that basketball background. Shows you got feet and athleticism and coordination. So you add Craig and Owens, bookend tackles plus Chagosi. Nice job for Cal. Hey, they also got a big-time commitment at quarterback and J.T. Shrout coming in. So they're on their way to some really good recruiting success, which should translate to the field. Absolutely. Oregon Ducks had a huge weekend. They called it SNL, Saturday Night Live. They brought in guys from all over the map. Four commitments. Three are from Texas. We don't focus too hard on those Texas guys, but we do know about a couple of these guys. Veron McKinley, a big-time guy, corner safety, and a guy I love, 2019 Scout 100 receiver. Miles, or excuse me, R.J. Henderson. Saw him in Vegas over the summer. One of the top receivers there. He's a 6'1", 6'2 kid. Long, athletic. Again, Scout 100 guy. Oregon Ducks locking in three guys from Texas, including a talented 2019 receiver and Mr. R.J. Henderson. Hey, let me tell you something. Verone McKinley saw this guy at Future 50. Smooth DB, great ball skills, and a high IQ. Got to go. I like those high IQ guys. No question. It's easier to coach a guy with a high IQ. He can I get there say. faster than a guy that runs 4 3, I can tell you that. Talanoa Hufenga, who we love as a safety, and also Panay Sewell, one of the top guards slash tackles from Utah. They're also on the Oregon's campus this past weekend. I think they did a really good job with both of those two guys. Kind of keeping it local. Nice weekend for UCLA. They had a big barbecue on Sunday. Three new commitments, including one. I don't, I don't get surprised too often, Coach. You've been doing this a long time. I don't get surprised too often. But Elijah Griffin, Mission Viejo High School. G-Chow. I didn't mention OG. I didn't mention UCLA. Rarely, if at all. USC was kind of the school. He mentioned a lot more so. He mentioned Nebraska. He mentioned Notre Dame. He mentioned Oklahoma. UCLA was kind of a, maybe almost an afterthought, but he went ahead and committed there during that barbecue and Talk about a, a talented cover corner, a huge position of need. What do you think about OG's game? Let me tell you something. The G Chow, Elijah Griffin, lockdown cover corner. No question about it. Press coverage, hip pocket, man to man. Can get on that highway and run with the best of them. Long and athletic, good ball skills, very physical. I remember seeing him playing as a seven year old for the Mission Viejo Cowboys. Great commitment pickup for UCLA Bruins. The G Chow, Elijah Griffin. Warren G, shout out to Warren. Yeah, no question. The regulator, great dad. I, I see him at almost every event. He reached, actually reached out to me when, uh, when OG committed, so I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, CJ Parks, Monterey High School, two-way guy. I think he's going to go in as an athlete, he told me. He said he might start off as a receiver, uh, but he also can play a little corner safety. You know, what I've seen from CJ over the last couple of years has been a, a ton of growth in terms of it getting bigger, and he's gotten faster. Arguably the best hands in the state that I've seen Pure route runner. The guy plays with a major, major chip. The guy has a lot of dog in his game. He's a fierce competitor. CJ, I love the way CJ plays. I mean, just a pure playmaker. If you had to have a one-word or two-word association with CJ, it's just a playmaker. A guy who's comfortable with the football, comfortable making plays, and doing things after the catch or after the interception to put his team ahead. Really like him. Plays with that chip on the shoulder, which I, I like a lot. Highly competitive. And then Matthew Tago, uh, linebacker, they... Desperately needed linebackers. That was a huge position in need. Tago, more of a quarterback as a junior. I, I completely had this guy underrated. I saw his quarterback film and thought, okay, you know, he's, he's not bad athletically. Probably 6'1", 230-ish. Then some at USC's camp. He's 6'3", yep. 215, so he's leaner, longer, more athletic than I anticipated. And he looked really, really good. USC offered him with the UCLA's camp. They offered him, not at that camp, but they did offer him probably last week. Now I'm on that barbecue this past Sunday, and Tago went ahead and committed to UCLA. So again, uh, probably going to be a, an inside guy for UCLA, but a huge pickup at a position of need, Matthew Tago. 
6'3", but plays the game at 5'9". And that's what's special about linebackers. You can be a tall, lean guy, but you got to play five inches shorter. Always with your knees bent, always in playmaking ability, playmaking position, ready to hit, made it, ready to make a break on the football. Matthew Tyler, a guy with flexibility, movement ability, can get to the football in a hurry. Devin Williams, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Brian Addison, a few more guys that were at that UCLA barbecue on Sunday. I think they're, they're I don't want to say they, they lead for those guys, but they did make up some ground. I think they're actually in the game. Uh, Brian Addison, Sarah Kidd, uh, the kind of joke was if UCLA, don't even recruit Sarah because that guy, they're going to USC. But right. I think they got a legitimate shot at Addison. Amon Ross, St. Brown, apparently. The word in the street is UCLA's got a chance. Now, with JT going to USC, uh, that's going to have an impact. St. Brown is saying it'll be an impact, but not that big of a deal. We will we will see on that one. And then Devin Williams, uh, Oregon was the leader going into this weekend. Uh, I think right now it's probably a UCLA-Oregon. It's very, very close. He'll take his trips. But I think they put themselves in a position with all three of those kids. How about Arizona landing Javon Hill out of Cajon and offering his teammate Jaden Daniels for me? And the more I watch Jaden Daniels, I like him a lot. 2019 quarterback. Every time I see him, I feel like he's got a couple more inches on him. He was like a 5'8 guy as a freshman. Now he's almost 6'2", 6'3". Yeah. Dual threat capability, but a pretty pure pocket passer. Listen, the guy can strictly get it done from the pocket. He's got great accuracy, especially outside the hash marks. He's a great leader, terrific kid. He's got a great support system at home with his mom. I think he's got a terrific future, and I think he fits really well in that Rich Rod offense. Yeah, no no, no commitment yet. I think Jaden's going to be – he'll be a national guy, though. He'll have 10 to 15 offers. He'll be able to make his choice. Uh, then I mentioned Javon Hill, who was an early UCLA commit, kind of backed off that. A long athletic safety. Uh, played a lot of corners on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit, ground zero kid. Uh, but I think he's a, definitely a safety in college. Again, love the range, love the length, and he'll come up and hit you. Javon Hill. Great size. He can run. He can make plays on the football. Um, about six one and a half, six two, long arm, really good football player. Got to throw in one more school, Stanford. No commitments for the Cardinal, but they did have a significant offer made to a quarterback that we both love, Tanner McKee, Centennial High School, arguably the top quarterback out west. Interesting recruitment. He's going to go on a more mission directly out of high school, so he basically counts as a 2020 kid. Stanford was one school he was waiting on. He's got trips lined up. Texas is involved. Washington, BYU, Alabama. That fifth one now will go to Stanford. He'll take that last trip to Stanford. And the Carl will have a great chance with Tanner McKee. And again, this kid has special Ronaldo room. You know, I don't mean to toot my own horn, Greg, but you'd love to toot your own listen, horn, Coach. Come I on do. Now. I do. I'm just special. What can I say? But here's the deal. Tanner McKee, I called him a five-star before he ever started a game. I saw him as a sophomore in a backup role. I thought he was special then. I know he's special now. 6'6", 220, rocket for an arm. More athletic than people give him credit for. Way more. To me, I think he's a top 15 draft pick one day. Okay. He's got great talent, high character, and don't see him on the basketball court, the volleyball court. He'll dunk on you. He'll spike <laughs> it right off your nose. Tanner McKee, shout out. I love Tanner McKee. My only reservation, and it, it, it is minor, but look at the history. And I, I'll probably, I can probably be proven wrong on this one, but looking at the history of those great BYU uh, BYU quarterbacks, I'm not saying he's going there, but a lot of guys who went on their Mormon mission, uh, they didn't have the same kind of success. You take two years off, it can be a little bit tough. Ty Detmer, no mission. Steve Young, no mission. 
Chinook Man was never Mormon. There's no chance he's going on a mission. So he wasn't Mormon, I can tell you that. <laughs> Robbie Bosco, no mission. Uh, ben Olsen did take a mission. He was the number one quarterback in his class. So, again, I think Tanner is the kind of guy, though, he can go ahead and leave for two years and come back, and he could probably pick it up better than most. But it is a little bit of a reservation. I want like quarterbacks, you want to kind of keep him fresh. It's such a technical position, but Tanner will be fine. I think he's going to be good. You know what, Greg? I feel like we're missing somebody. Did we... We miss a little we, something. We, we aren't missing anybody that I can think of. Um, Notre Dame got a guy. Did they get a guy? Notre Dame got a really good-looking kid. They got a guy, and I mean that in a masculine way. Notre Dame picked up a kid. Goes to Great Oak High School out here in Temecula. It goes by the name Jack Lamb. Who's actually right across. We're sitting. Holy here. smokes! And we are at the Monster Headquarters. Global Headquarters. And I'll tell you what, Keith. I'm a huge Monster fan. I, I, I feel like I could have a monster every day. I'm so buzzed up right now, Jack. I almost want to tackle you right now because I'm just I'm that jacked up to be here. Jack, pleasure to have you coming on here, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Congrats on Notre Dame. Thank uh, you very much. God, where do we begin? Wow, where do we, let, let's start from the top. So, hey, Notre Dame came down to a few schools. Tell us a little bit about your finalists and why you kind of chose Notre Dame. Right, so so in the beginning, you know, UCLA was kind of the lead throughout the whole thing. Uh, that's where I was really sure I was going to go um, until after I took that Notre Dame visit, you know, it really made a good impression uh, on me. I went into that visit, you know, not really knowing what to expect. Obviously, uh, I knew that school had some great football tradition. I knew they're going to have a great team next year coming off a 4-8 and eight year. Um, you know, they're going to have that chip on their shoulder, as you guys have been talking about with other people. Um, so I, I kind of felt as though, um, you know, coming in these next few years they're going to really turn the program around from what they had last year because that's just what they do um you know history repeats itself they're one of the most winningest teams when it comes to national championships um and that made a really big impression on me you know that that football tradition and what they what they have there at that school it's really special it's really special so jack let me jump in here sorry keith uh so Notre Dame trip was was tremendous i definitely sensed a little bit of buzz but even talking to you at the opening finals and maybe even a little bit after, it still kind of felt like Notre Dame was, was kind of had some more ground to make up. Uh, you seemed like UCLA was still kind of in the lead. And then in the last week or so before you decided, it seemed like Notre Dame kind of pushed ahead. And this was well after the visit. Uh, I think that's kind of took some people by surprise. They, even Notre Dame fans were saying, we didn't think we'd get Jack without another visit. Right. What did Notre Dame do in those last two weeks before you made your decision to kind of inch ahead of everybody else, not just UCLA, but all your other great schools that made your final five? Right, so I, I, sp- I spent a lot of time talking to the linebacker coach um, over the phone, Coach Lee. Um, but not only that, it was a lot of self-reflection. You know, What did I really want out of this college experience? What I want to do? Um, and I really wanted to make sure that I challenged myself um, in this process. You know, um, Staying close to home would have been the easy choice. Um, Going far away would have been the harder choice, but uh, in the end, I believe it's going to be the better choice for me. Um, so that's kind of what made me, uh, you know, decide to finally pull the trigger on Notre Dame, um, you know, to get out of my comfort zone, to challenge myself in a way that's going to make me uh, better myself as an individual, uh, more so than a football player. So we talked a little bit of off, off air, and you talked about um, a kind of a family philosophy, right? A family philosophy in terms of making decisions about your future. Can you share with the audience or our listeners? what that family philosophy is and how it impacted your decision to go to Notre Dame. Right. So it's, it's really just to get out of your comfort zone, to, you know, take, take a chance, take a risk, uh, you know, don't always, you know, stay in that same spot for the rest of your life and, um, you know, just expect to live easy. You know, why not make it a little bit harder on yourself and, you know, have a higher reward for that. Um, so my dad, he, uh, you know, grew up on the East coast, lived there his whole life. And, um, you know, before I was born, uh, he made a decision to move out to Portland, Oregon, um, and, you know, get a job there. And then from there, he decided to move down to Southern California. 
California to continue his job here. Um, so, and, and it really worked out for him. He's become extremely successful off of that. Um, and my hope is that my, by me leaving the West Coast and going out into the Midwest and uh, you know challenging myself in the same way that he did, that hopefully I'll have the similar results and become even more successful. Talking about successful and your dad, I'll tell you what, man. Look at this whole entire place we're in right now. It's, it's highly successful. So shout out to your pops, Dan Lamb. Hey, so I want to stand their name for, for more of a second. You talked about all the reasons or some of the reasons why you chose them, but let's get specific. You know, from a football scheme standpoint, I mean, Keith and I talk about you all the time, not in a weird way. Uh, we love the way you play, but man, three, four, four, three, inside out. I mean, you're one of the few guys in the country that can do anything. I mean, you can play any scheme, any fit. Uh, how does Notre Dame want to use you? Um, and what's their scheme going to be like? Because new defensive staff, correct? Right. So what's the what's the scheme going to be, and where do they see you fitting in that scheme? Right. So they're gonna they're gonna use me as a as a Mike linebacker uh, in their scheme. So it's the same scheme. Um, so they're, they're using the scheme that they had at Wake Forest because uh, so Coach Elko um, was the DC there um, and got moved to Notre Dame. Um, and uh, so they're gonna use me as a as a Mike linebacker. So it's kind of so they have the Mike and Buck linebacker, which are the two inside guys, um, and they're kind of interchangeable positions. Um, the Mike just stays towards the middle more um, but there are situations where you could you know be on the other side you know on the weaker side um, so it's, it's a really interesting defense um, and it's been proven to work you know if you look at Wake Forest's stats over the last couple of years with them being there uh, they didn't have the best offense but their defense was the top 25 defense with you know Wake Forest you know you don't really see that too often um, so I think they're going to bring that to Notre Dame um, hopefully have a powerful offense and be able to hold it down on defense as well you know Greg talked a little bit about your versatility, right? Being able to play inside, being able to play outside. Talk a little bit about your childhood and kind of your past in terms of playing multiple sports, having multiple movement activities that kind of help your development. Because right now we're in the age of specialization and everybody wants to train their six-year-old son just to play football. Talk a little bit about your past and what it was like as a child. Right. So I was always about trying something new. Um, when I was younger, I played a lot of sports. I went from anywhere from soccer to basketball, um, baseball, track, even lacrosse. Um, and, you know, just being able to do all the sports and, you know, see what was right for me um, was a really interesting experience. Um, you know, you see what you don't like, you see what you really love. Um, and that's really what brought me to, you know, continue to play football and make that my passion uh, is that I really loved it more than any other sport in the world. I played baseball for my entire life up until seventh grade. Uh, and it just wasn't for me I couldn't stand you know sitting on a bench for half the game and uh, if you weren't hitting or pitching you know it wasn't that fun for me so I decided I was gonna you know move on from that finished out the season uh seventh and eighth grade year uh played lacrosse instead because you know why not have an extra uh, an extra season of hitting people um so it was a really fun experience for me you know uh getting to go through all these different sports a ton of different experiences and, and in the end having it all help me towards football you know Jack again talking about not just the specialization but you know, staying with football, you actually told me you started off as, as a receiver, which kind of makes some sense because you're a fluid athlete and, and for a linebacker, tremendous hands. Uh, your sophomore year, if you can, that was your year where you kind of made the transition late in the year to linebacker. But as a receiver, uh, you know, kind of talk about, you know, were you good? Could you catch the ball a little bit? And you're skinny, tech, right? At that right, point, yeah. Like 6'4", you said maybe a buck seventy on a good day. But, uh, was like playing receiver, and then later on in the year, kind of moved to linebacker. How'd that whole transition go for you? Uh, sophomore year, there was a guy in front of me that was just, you know, he was the guy at linebacker. He was the starting guy. Um, so I was like, you know, I want to get on the field either way. Uh, so I really worked my craft in offense, um, got the starting spot as a receiver. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't half bad. You know, I, I was all right. Uh, it wasn't my spot. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but I wanted to play. I wanted to contribute in some way. Um, so I got on the field, um, caught a few touchdowns, uh, did a little bit. Um, third game of the season, um, 
so our starting our starting linebacker actually got hurt, had a shoulder energy, uh, injury, um, and wound up getting pulled out of the game. So they're like, well, we don't have anybody else. So wide receiver, 170 guy, you come in and you go. Uh, so I, I played the second half of the third game of the season. Um, and, and, man, that's just how I knew it was my – that was my spot. That's, that's where I had to be. Uh, so he came back three games later after his shoulder injury. Uh, injury. Um, and so I actually kept that spot, and they moved him to defensive end, uh, more of a stand-up rush guy. Um, and so that's just how I knew that's where I was going to be. I was going to play linebacker. Um, I mean, I was still 170 for the rest of that season, so that didn't help me out too well as far as uh, you know, film and putting sure. putting out a couple of highlights. But you know, I was a scrappy, I was a scrappy linebacker my sophomore year. I figured out a way to make plays uh, and uh, you know contribute. You know, it's been a really good high school career thus far. So if you, if I break it down, you've had a really good sophomore year, good junior year, really good junior year. Had a great off season. Went to the Nike opening. Some people called you the best linebacker there. You've been by scout, uh, Greg Biggins and crew. You've been named the number one outside linebacker in the state of California. But maybe the biggest accomplishment, you committed to the Under Armour All-American. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got a chance to call you, right? Right. Last yep. week, invite Jack to the Under Armour All-American game. He committed. Tell me how you feel about that. That's going to be an amazing experience. So, um Actually, the first time I went to Florida ever, so I played in the Pop Warner National Championship uh, game uh, in Florida at the same exact, the Worldwide Sports Center. Sure. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I, just, I had to commit right away. I wasn't going to wait for anything else. I had, yeah. to, I had to go back there. Ain't no, you know, ain't no reason to wait. You know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So senior year, got to go back, you know, uh, bring back some memories from eighth grade uh, when I got to be back up there. So uh, definitely want to do that. It's going to be a great experience. Jack, let's bring this back to seriousness. Because I know that was all just kind of a little <laughs> conversation. Hey, so I'm not a huge 7-on-7 guy. I do like it, but I'll tell you what, by the end of the summer, I'm kind of 7-on-7'd out. But I'll tell you what, my my all-time favorite play, and then that's too strong of a word, so I'll just, not all-time, my favorite play this year, if I can tell the story, and I want you to comment on it, if you just kind of remember this play I'm talking about, I know you do, because you talked about it off camera, but you're playing Team Florida, and then every stereotype uh, of, of Team Florida you can think of, just, you know, real mouthy, cocky, arrogant, that was these guys Dallas about 20 notches. You're playing for ground zero. Everyone knows you guys are good. These guys are really good, too. Before the game starts, they had a little running back, probably about 5'8", and just jaw-jacking like crazy, right? He was picked had an imaginary broom. He was going to sweep the trash off the field. We're sweeping the trash. They were talking before the game even started. I'm watching you, and you're watching him. And your expression, I love it. Your, your, your expression never changes. You can't tell if you won the lottery or just lost your dog. Uh, you're just right there even kill. And you're looking at this guy. And all of a sudden, whistle blows, first play of the game, and you grab this guy, right? And he's not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, okay, Jack just snuffed this kid out. And you take him back about five yards. And I'm going, that's, that's pretty cool. Ten yards, 30 yards, 40 yards. Coach Keith, he absolutely went blindside on this guy and took him, <laughs> took him off to a second field. And, and it Southern California kids were all over the place. It's just this giant mosh pit is, is just kind of forming around Jack and this little guy who just got absolutely baptized on the football field. And Jack comes out of the – it was the single best moment of 7-on-7 seven seven for me. It was, it was so – and this guy did not say a word the rest of the tournament. Maybe – I don't know if he's still talking. He might still not be talking because <laughs> he was so humbled. 
Jack, do you, do you remember that play first off? You have to. Yeah. What was your mindset before, during, and after that play? You know, my mindset before that play, you know, he's talking the whole time. He's looking at me, doing all this stuff. I'm looking right back at him. And, uh, you know, there's a couple pictures of me just, you know, just kind of looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're just kind of, you're going to embarrass yourself. Like, that's, and I, I just wanted to prove to him, like, you know, talking's not going to do anything for you. It's, it's never going to do anything for you. Just prove it on the field. You don't need to talk. I've never been much of a talker on the field or anything. I don't really, I don't start any fights. I just play. That's what I do. Um, and I remember this play. Um, the, you mentioned you mentioned Blindside. I remember and that that was actually going through my head when Michael Orr drove that guy out of the stadium. Yeah. And uh, they had to call excessive blocking on him. Uh, so that was, was that your goal? You're trying to block? Take this guy. I was just I was so like I didn't show it, but I was just mad. I was like, don't don't come in here and do like you're from Florida. You know you don't know about the West Coast and what we do over here. And he's talking about sweeping up sweeping up the trash. You know like these guys aren't anything. And I was like. It'd be so great to just push you all the way over there. And so I, I just envisioned it, and I did it, and it was yeah, the greatest thing ever. You didn't just speak it into existence. You actually accomplished it. You know, Jack, you kind of brought up, he kind of looked at you, and, and not not to get all, you know, use this card, but do you ever feel like people look at you, again, let's be real, a white linebacker, and you kind of think, oh, this guy, I, I got this guy. You know, he can't move. He can't play in space. Look at him. Because I'm, I'll be honest, the first time I saw you, I said, oh, man, defensive end. And to his credit, you know, he's a friend and we always tease him, but Armand Hawkins said, dude, this is the best linebacker. I'm like, okay, Ar- whatever, Armand. Just, you know, no, there's no way this guy right here is the best linebacker. And, and you've proven, absolutely, he, he was right on the money with you. But uh, do you ever feel like a little bit people look at you and kind of underrate you a little bit because of that? Oh, yeah, all, all the time. You know, they just look at you and they think, I'm already better than you. Uh, because, you know, I don't look like the most athletic guy. I, it's just not the way I look. And, you know, it's kind of cool that I'm a little bit deceptive in that way. Uh, so, you know, I'll take I'll take the being an underdog. You know, I'm okay. I'm I'm okay with that. There you go. Um, so they look at me and they think, "All right, I'm gonna reroute this guy. I'm gonna get right around him, like easy. Um, and I get my hands on him, and it's it's game over from there." Game over, coach. Hey, sounds good. Game let me over. tell you. Let me tell you something. One thing I love about Jack. Jack is a guy. He's got a super high IQ. He's a four-six guy, but he plays four-four, right? Mm-hmm. So being four-six, that means you can run. But when you play four-four. Because you can think quicker, anticipate faster, and get the jump on the opposition. That is going to make you that much better at the next level. It's going to get you on the field earlier. You're going to be a guy that's going to be comfortable making plays in space, inside, outside, coming off the edge, dropping in zone coverage. I just love the upside. I love the upside, too. You know, Jack, I mean, we could go on. On and on and on, you're a fun guy to talk to. I just I got a couple more questions. Kind of bring it back again to the recruiting process. And we, we, we always ask everyone this question, but if you can, just tell us a story. If you can, keep keep names out if you want to. But what was your favorite moment about the recruiting process? What's the one thing you remember the most? And then what was one moment that was probably the most negative for you in terms of, you know, start off whenever you want to, but there's those two defining moments. What was the best and the worst moment for you in the whole recruiting process? Right, so I'll, I'll give you two moments that were really good. So the first offer, uh, you know, just from Montana State, you know, nothing crazy, but just to know that my parents were going to have to pay for college for me, um, you know, they're going to get to save a couple hundred thousand dollars just felt so good for me. Um, you know, I was going to be able to go to school, get an education, and not have to worry about them paying for it or any student loans, nothing. Um, so that was one of the greatest moments for me, um, you know, throughout this entire recruiting process. Um, and then another one, um, so when I made that call to Notre Dame, 
to commit. So I was actually so I was at a restaurant with uh, one of my coaches that I talked to a lot about recruiting. Um, would that be my, my my boy Mike Barney? It would be your boy Mike Barney. It would be. So I'll I'll give you that name. I'll give you that name. So Mike Barney. So I talked to him all the time about recruiting. Um, you know, he's really helped me to make my decision. Um, and I was sitting with him. I was like, you know, what? I think I want to. I think I'm just going to commit to Notre Dame. Like this is where I need to go. I need to challenge myself. And he's like, and so it was. Nine o'clock, or so about nine thirty our time, on the West Coast. So we're we're talking like twelve thirty, you know, pushing one o'clock there, uh, where he is, um, where I made the call to. So I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna call him, see if he answers. If he doesn't, whatever, I'm still gonna commit. So he picks up the phone and he's super tired. I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to wake you up or anything. And he's like, no, it's totally fine. Like, what's up? Um, I'm like, I'm gonna commit to Notre Dame. And he's like, his 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 attitude went from extremely tired to the most excited I've ever heard him in my life in a matter of seconds and it was just awesome to hear that you know um to feel you know that kind of family feeling um that you're wanted there um and that's where i wanted to be um they want me there too so it was just an incredible feeling to have that any negative story you want to kind of keep it if you want to keep it positive jack i'm totally good with that but is any you have a negative story that was kind of a bummer for you Right, so making those calls to um, kind of tell other schools that they weren't the school that I was going to pick was the toughest thing for me. I really didn't know what to expect. You know, it almost felt like you're firing somebody from a job. You know, you don't know how they're going to take it. They're going to take it like, oh, like I totally understand, or they're going to be like, well, I still want my job. What can I do to get it back? But you know, you've already made your mind up. Um, so that was probably the hardest thing to talk to some of these coaches, and you know, a lot of them took it the right way, and they were like, "Well, if you change your mind, we'll be here for you if you want that spot." Um, but then, you know, there's there's a couple that just you know it went the other way, and I sat and listened to a, a pretty long lecture. Um, obviously, we won't bring up any names, but um, and it was pretty hard to listen to, seeing as I had already made my mind up and I didn't want to reconsider anything. So it's it, it was a hard moment for me to. To, you know, not have to reconsider and, you know, just kind of sit there and take it and be like, I really appreciate everything you've done, uh, but this is this is where I've decided to go. So I got to think that moment kind of almost made you feel even better about your decision, right? I'm like, I don't know if you had second thoughts at all, or I know you thought about this for a long time, but after, you know, kind of dealing with some of the phone calls, you, you got you probably felt like, you know, I did make the right choice. Notre Dame was the right choice for me, and that kind of almost solidified it, just yeah. dealing with some of the other coaches, yeah? Yeah, so I feel like that, that moment for me, you know, making those phone calls and seeing how people reacted really made me feel like I made the right decision um, in the end. So I really, really felt that that helped me out. So Jack, we, we gotta we gotta get you one. I, I know Coach Keys. We gotta move this on. I got one last one for you. Um, and again, thanks for coming on. This has been fun. But six four two twenty. It's very very lean. Uh, before you go, and don't look overlook your senior season. Have a great senior year. But before you get to Notre Dame, what is what is one thing? If you can just name one that you think you need to get better at to get there. You're an early grad, which means you want to play right now. Uh, what is one thing you want to work on and think that you need to get better on before you can actually play at that level? Uh, one thing I definitely want to get better at, um, obviously throughout this season, um, a little bit more uh, over the next couple of weeks before our first game is just being able to get past those big linemen, uh, using hands, um, you know, working on body lean and uh, body position, getting through those big guys, because that's, that's one of the hardest things to do at the linebacker position, you know, uh, when you see the running play develop and you got to go go get it, you know, um, and then those big guys are in the way, so you got to get past them, so that's one thing I want to work on for sure. Well, hey, Jack, it's been a pleasure having you on Transparent Truth. Uh, I know I speak for Greg. We've had a great time here at the Monster Global Headquarters. Global. 
Hey, your family's been fantastic. It's treated with so much hospitality. Thank you again for coming on. When you get back from, from spring break, Christmas break at Notre Dame, come by, see us. We'll do a show. We'll come by and see you. Yeah, yeah. We'll come up, we want an excuse to get back here. Yes, no question about that. So we, we really appreciate it. I thank you guys for having me out here, too. Um, it's been really fun. I really appreciate it. Never done anything like this before, but it was really fun, so thank you. Zach Lamb, The Transparent Truth, special interview. The Transparent Truth with the coach and Greg Beggins. We'll be right back. Are you feeling extra sensitive? Not quite feeling like the studs you once were? Do you often find yourself sad and blue for no apparent reason? Are you screenshotting conversations? Are you gossiping like a woman? Well, we have just a solution. Man up, especially formulated for wimps like you. Each dosage contains 50 milligrams of courage, 50 milligrams of bull testicle extract, and a whopping 100 milligrams of manhood. Take up to five times per day for optimal results and you will be feeling like a real man before you know it. Call 1-800-MAN-DOWN. That's 1-800-626-3696. Order now, sissy. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. A lot of fun talking to Jack Lamb, Coach. That, that was good times. Hey, Jack's a great kid. Comes from a great situation. Answer our questions openly, honestly. It's a transparent truth, baby. If you're not going to be open and honest, we don't want you on the show. That's just how we roll. Talk about open and, and honestly. honesty. Honesty. Uh, we had a great chance last week. Went to USC and talked to a guy, Biggie Marshall, and his pops, Tony. Uh, probably as enlightening, enlightening an interview for me as I've ever done in terms of just sitting down for 40 minutes talking to these guys about the process. When Biggie was young and, and the dad just, Tony, just dropped some major, major knowledge. I'll tell you what, man, I learned probably more from that interview than I have in, in any interview I've ever done. Greg, you've been, in, you've been in the game 20-plus years, and for you to make that type of comment, I think it speaks to the quality of this interview and just to the engagement. Uh, I wasn't a big Biggie Marshall guy uh, before the interview. Once I got a chance to go down and meet him up at USC and meet his father, do the interview and really talk to them, man, we clicked on all types of levels, and what a special guy Biggie is, and his father is outstanding, and you know, turn up your, your volume your earphones on a little tighter, strap in your car seats, whatever you got to do, I need you to lock in. We got Biggie and Tony Marshall, Life After Death, on The Transparent Truth. This is The Transparent Truth Special Report. Got a very special guest here, Coach Keith, very special, one of the elite defensive backs in the country, and has been since he was nine years old, ten years old, Iman Marshall, we've been calling him Biggie for a long time, Biggie. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Man, I appreciate y'all guys having me today. How y'all doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Let's just jump right in. Quick icebreaker question. We talked a little bit off camera, off off air, whatever we call this thing right now. Oh, yeah. The nickname Biggie. When did you first get that nickname and why? Man, that nickname been with me forever since I was a young and my auntie actually gave it to me. You know, it was the time in the era when Biggie Smalls was coming out, you know, when I was a young chubby kid and... And I was just bobbing my head when I heard him and stuff like that. They said I'd get excited when I hear his name. So, uh, and they just start calling me Biggie. So yeah. then it just stuck with me from here on out. And it's, it's my name and always going to be my name. When I, when I first met you, you were an eighth grader going into your high school year at Long Beach Poly. I saw you at, I don't remember what the Las Vegas tournament, apologies to Baron. I don't know if it was Pylon or what the tournament was called yet. But you're playing for B2G with Ron yeah. and Henry. And, and you guys had a staff team. I just kept going, man, Ron, who is this guy right here? 
They're all, that's Biggie Marshall. I didn't know your name was Iman for like yeah. two years. I, yeah. thought, I thought your name was Biggie. I thought that was a great name that maybe we got Pops Tony over here too. Yeah, uh, who, Tony, I, again, excited to have you on because you had some, the way you handled his recruitment, which we'll get to later on, but the way you handled his recruitment was flawless, I felt, and it was an absolute textbook. And so we'd love to get your get your uh, advice. Mm-hmm. Get a lot of dads who listen to the show and, and how you handled it, which was very streamlined. You know, certain days colleges don't only call these days. <laughs> you really handled it really well. well Reporters, you. this is how you're doing it. You know, you're going through me. Yeah. You know, I thought I was like family, but I still have to go through you. I don't think I ever got a chance to call Biggie directly. But uh, now let's go to the beginning. Let's go when you're nine and ten years old. And I always love to ask this question, but. Uh, did you fall in love with football right away? Was it a, was it your passion? Were you good right away? Um, was it your number one sport? I know I just fired like eighteen questions at you right right away. But uh, uh, when did you first kind of fall in love with football? When did when, when did you kind of become passionate about it? Man, I'm always always been passionate about football. Um, growing up where I was at, we had we always played like backyard football, throw up tackles, we per se. So I always been around football all my life. So we always play with the older cats, and you always see them doing what they did on the field. You're like, man, I'm trying to emulate that and trying to do it do it well. So I had a bump, a lot of bumps, a lot of bruises playing with them older dudes, but it got me rough and it got me ready for the uh, for where I am today. So again, everyone knows you, you know, world all American, world class defensive back. Yeah. You kind of start off on the offensive side of the ball, right? I know you obviously everyone who's gifted like you goes both ways, but growing up and I'll kind of fast forward a little bit, I'm a big time snoop league guy. You were an offensive guy first and foremost. Uh, kind of talk about that. What position were you playing? And was that where you thought you'd be kind of making your, you know, your mill ticket kind of moving forward, high school and college? Was it was uh, as an offensive guy? Um, more so, I want I want to start off from the beginning. At first, I played tackle when I first started playing. Um, like offensive tackle? Offensive tackle. That's where all the great ones started. But yeah, I started the offensive tackle, you know, it was just to get my fit. You know, I wasn't first playing tackle football. I started just straight on tackle, no flag, none of that. So yeah. I had to get more physical. You know, yeah. I was afraid of contact like most, most dudes when they first start playing. Yeah. I was afraid of contact, so it got me physical and got me ready. So yeah. once I started getting a lot more physical playing for the Compton Vikings, Thank you. They they really got me right. Shout out to Hub City, man, man. They got me right, and I, yeah. Um, I started from there, and then I went to DN. Okay. From DN, I went to running back, yeah. running back. So then, my dad always said I, I I always had a talent with the ball in my hand. But you know, at that time, I'm like I don't know, I don't, I don't really know. But as I started getting more and more carries and start filling myself out, my first year was kind of rough. But once I started playing my second year, Pop Warner for Compton. And that's when I start feeling myself and start feeling my swag with the ball in my hand and everything like that. So, Tony, here's a question for you. Yes, How did you see Biggie's development at that point in time in his young career? So he started off on the O-line, yeah. the D-line a little bit. Yeah. Then he kind of transitioned to running back. There must have been some development athletically um, at that point in time. And also, was there any outside work that Biggie put in to help him um, mature and develop in that kind of athleticism area? Hey, great questions, great questions. Uh, yeah, I've seen it kind of early. Uh, he had all the athletic ability in the world. Like he stated earlier, his issue was the physical contact. You know, okay. as I stated before, when you, we're wired to avoid contact. And so you have to rewire yourself to kind of physically run into something. You yeah. know what I'm saying? When you see something, excuse me, when you see something, and it comes directly at you, what do you do? You, you flinch, you move out the way. Sure. Especially for an eight, nine-year-old kid. It's natural. And so what, what I had to do was get him used to not being afraid to run through contact. 
and the faster you run, the easier it is it would be on you. But I've seen it real early. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen that he was he was special very very early, and it's, you know it just kind of went from there. Repeat the question one more time. I kind of caught the last. Yeah, last no. Time. So outside. So there's a big emphasis on training, training mm-hmm. outside of Perfect your team and things of mm-hmm. that nature. So what we did was growing up when we went to the camps. I mean, when he first started playing, Pop Warner football for Compton. He was nine years old. They had something called a, you know, the warm ups like for summer school. I mean, for summer, you seen warm ups, and they did all cone drills, specific related drills, and he was horrible at it. Mm-hmm. He was horrible at. It. He didn't understand the sense of urgency. He understand. He thought that running fast, jogging was running fast, because he'd never been in any type of controlled situation or team situation. He just played backyard football his sure. entire life. He was gifted, but he didn't. He wasn't structured. Sure. So, what we're doing, what I would do is, I would film every practice, film exactly what the work was going on, and then I knew he was terrible. So I would make sure going Monday through Friday, we'd work on those specific related drills that he did in practice. So when he went back to practice the next week. He would be the best. And that's what we did all the time. You know what I'm saying? So we get cone work out there. We get cones. We get shoes for cones. We, we get cups. We didn't have cones. We didn't have cups. We got cups and shoes. That's what we were. We started off with cups and shoes. That's what it, what it started off with. And it took what? We was out there for like three or four hours. I yeah. used to dread it. I used to hate it. I'm like, man, I want to go play with my friends. Yeah. It used to be so crazy. But we didn't have cone work. We didn't have cones. We used shoes. We, used, we had to improvise and figure out. How we still gonna get that same work and still still yeah. get ready? And what I tried to tell him too is that he Iman used to want to play football. He was on my head for years. Yeah, I wanted to kind of delay. I wanted to wait till he was like eleven or twelve years old before I put him into football. Right, right. So he was like, "Dad, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play." And so I finally relented. You know, he was. I had him in basketball. I had him doing other things, but he was always a football player. So eventually, I told him, I'm like, look, man, once we commit to football, we commit. There's no half-ass, excuse my language, there's no half doing it. Uh, we're going to commit to it. So let me know if this is what you want to do. Because once you start the season off, you're going to complete it. And then we'll sit there and we'll reevaluate it again the next season after that. But once we start, we're, gonna stop. we're not going to stop. So that's what happened. You know what I'm saying? And to his credit, even though he, he hated it, he never fought back. He would be out there crying. He would die. He would be out there literally throwing up, spinning. We would run hills. We had a big backyard, big, a big incline in the backyard, in his backyard, literally like probably like a 45-degree angle, 55-degree mm-hmm. angle, and he would be out there literally throwing, hurling everything up, getting ready for the season. You know, his level of commitment, was. you've seen it real early. You've seen it real early. I found fascinating what, what you said, and, and even Biggie, you, you hated it. But, but you still kind of made him do it. So at, at what point, Tony, as, as a dad, are you thinking, okay, Matt, he said he wanted to do this, so this, this is how we're doing it. Did you ever think maybe you need to ease up a little bit, back off that a little bit? It was Biggie like saying, you said he never pushed back on you, but when you're seeing the kid throwing up, you're like, okay, maybe I'm pushing him a little too hard? Or this like, in your eyes, commitments, you're, you're going 100 miles an hour or nothing. No, because we're not seeing him throwing up. I just see him throwing up weak. That was weakness he was throwing up. That was soft he was throwing up. That's right. In order to be great, you have to sit there and get in an uncomfortable zone. And we're not comfortable seeing our kids in a situation where they're uncomfortable. So the first thing we do when we, as parents, we see our babies in an uncomfortable situation, we want to protect them. That's right. We want to nurture them. Mm-hmm. And in the long run, that's really hurting them. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I know if I came and saved him, I would be hurting. I can't, I'm not going to always be there to save him. So all I seen when he was sitting there throwing up, okay. Oh, all I seen when he was sitting there throwing up, you're throwing up weakness. Yeah. You're soft. We need to make you hard. And that's what he did. You know what I'm saying? It's shaped him into who he is today, to be honest with you. I love that. No, that, that's, that's that kind of goes with you about yeah. sometimes you got to be put in an uncomfortable situation. Absolutely. I mean, you can't always be the nice dad. Never. Um, and I talk to my six-year-old son about that all the time. One thing I was talking to my wife about this morning was uh, one thing I really admire about my son. He's six, but he enjoys pain. He doesn't mind pain, right? If it hurts, he doesn't mind it, right? He actually wants more. He embraces it. Uh, and he wants to continue. He, he said, Dad, I want to be a football player. I want to be great. And so just hearing that story reminds me that, you know, no matter how hard the role becomes or how treacherous the work, the work is, that there's always a, a light at the end of the tunnel and there are always goals that you need to continue to reach for. Oh, and I couldn't say it. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm in total agreement with that philosophy. I believe we know what's best for our babies. No question. We know what's best for our babies from the outside looking in. It look like we're some crazy dads. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, we're right. like, dang, you're doing too much. I, believe me, I heard everything. I've heard it like tone. You're doing too. You're going too hard on your son. His mama, save my baby. You know, she out there trying to save her baby. I'm like, look, but mama, I got him. I, this is my. This is my guy. This is my son. This is my blood. I want the best for him. So understand what I'm doing right now. It might hurt. It might look like it's hurting. But it's gonna make him better in the long run, and like you said, you seen the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know. So yeah, you're right. You're right. You're doing a great job, as a matter of fact. So keep Appreciate it up, that. baby. Keep it up. Appreciate that. And so I don't want to fast forward too far, but we're sitting here right now with you, maybe one year removed from being a potential first round pick. So all those hills and throwing up, I'm thinking it paid off. Big. So at what point did you? Uh, so this is Tony. You're nine and ten years old. You're yeah. doing these workouts. You're playing some. Now you've adjusted O line to D line to running back. When did you start playing DB? When did that become something that you felt like, you know, I could do this for a long time? And the crazy thing, it was all formulated. It was all calculated. We all we discussed this before I even started playing a position. That's why I started playing quarterback at first. He wanted me to, my dad wanted me, he told me, we sat down and discussed it, like, look, we're going to have you play quarterback first, then we're going to have you play uh, DB. But he didn't know, he thought I was going to play safety. But then I ended up playing corner, but... We all, it was all set. We all calculated. I was in my room. I remember that day. I was in my room. And he was all like, I know you're not going to like it because you're used to the ball in your hand, being a dude, the highlight plays and all that tar- sort of things. Used to being a dude that's recognized and stuff like that because that's what you've been doing all your life. But then I'm like, I'm li- listening to him like, DB, what? I never <laughs> heard of that position. Like, who, who want to play that position? Like, that's that's not a position that a lot of people want to play. They, you know, when you're younger, you want to have the ball in your hand. You want to have your name all called all the time and everything like that. But then he was telling me, like, this is going to be the position that that can set you free and do it. You can do it. You can be special at And then that's all I did. I took I took forward. I started with quarterback from my, my uh, junior major year. Then going into my freshman year of high school, I played quarterback the same year. And I played a little bit of DB. That's when I was with Ron and uh, Henry, still working on my DB stuff. Shout out to them because they yeah. really got me right and helped me get that foundation that I am right now. But um, – that's what I started from there. And then I played the cornerback, worked with them, but didn't play corner, real cornerback until I was a sophomore in high school at Long Beach Pilot. My, my coach, Doc, got me right, too. And from there, it just, it's just where I am now. I'm, just, I'm blessed and thankful for everything, and, and it's the hard work I put in. 
Man, Tony, you just had a game plan. Speak it into existence, baby. I did. I did. I did. Um, I had the privilege of seeing people go through this process before me. You understand what I'm saying? And I, why reinvent the wheel? That's right. Why reinvent it? So I looked at what people did, the success that they had, the things that they did that I was like, I wouldn't do. And I kind of sit there and tailor made it for our, our situation. Now, our blueprint or our game plan might not necessarily fit for somebody else. But for my son specifically, I knew that would work for him. So when he was playing, as he said, made the transition from offense to defense, it was hard. It was a hard. It wasn't really a hard sell because he's always believed. He's always believed in me. He always knew I had his best interest. And what does he know? He's thirteen. He's fourteen. He doesn't have no perspective on anything. He really doesn't have an opinion. To be honest with you, it was going. He was going to do it the way I told him to do it. But I just made it seem like he had to. He had to say so. You understand what I'm saying? But that being said, uh, I told him uh, to his DB, to his coaches, his credit, his coaches credit from Long Beach Poly, Coach Doc, Coach Raul, uh, Raul. Coach Don, they all kind of just helped us with our vision. I told him, I'm like, look, I know he's going to play safety. Excuse me. I know he's going to play safety. Do me a solid, please. Allow my son his first year to play corner because he played Long Beach Poly. Long Beach Poly is considered one of the premier high schools in the state, if not the country, right? And they play some of the most the big, you know, yeah. Greg, you, you follow this. This is what you make your living off of. You know what I'm saying? You play Bosco. You play modern day. You play in the pack 5 And I didn't want my son getting beat up on. I knew what type of player that he was. So his sophomore year, I knew if he played safety and he's coming downhill, he was going to give it his all and he was going to end up hurting himself. And he wasn't physically ready to play that specific position. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, just keep him on the boundary, kind of protect him so he understands what the speed of the game is. Mm-hmm. He's good enough to play corner. And uh, that's what it was, you know. So we just kind of rolled with that. And next thing you know, the rest is history. He never transitioned or matriculated to playing safety. Yeah. He's been a corner ever since, you know. But I thought he was going to outgrow the position. I thought he was going to outgrow this position. But he really worked hard in making sure he was the best at that position. You know, that's something that me and Greg talked about kind of off air. Um, initially, when I first saw Biggie play in high school, I said, there's no way this guy is going to be a corner in college, right? He's just a big-framed yeah. kid. Um, he's going to grow into that body. He's going to be a safety yeah. or a strong safety. But um, to your credit, Biggie, you know, you, you, you stayed lean. You stayed long and, and agile. And talk to me a little bit about kind of finishing up at Long Beach Poly as the number one corner in the country, signing with USC, and what that transition was like getting on campus here in South Central. Um, it was it was a crazy transition, you know. It was a, high, a lot of high expectations. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of high expectations, and you know, at that time, I was battling the: is he gonna play the corner position or is he gonna play the safety position? Like, mm-hmm. always had that speculation all through high school. Even like my first couple of years at at SC, uh, I had that speculation, especially when I was going through my growing pains at the at the corner position. Um, because you know, I, I was getting flagged for a lot of plays because I was, a, you know, I was real grabby and real hands on and stuff like that. But my dad was telling me like, just be patient. It's all gonna work out in the end. Um, you know, because we we talk about a lot of stuff together. So at that at that time, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna go through these rough rough patches. And, you know, I always hear like, you need to, because he's not good enough. He can't he can't move his hip, do this stuff like that because. I was real hands-on. It was just me just learning and understanding the game and understanding how to play the game. You know, transitioning from high school all the way to college and trying to play and, and playing in those big games, it, 
you got nervous at, at certain times in the, in the game. And that's what I that's what I get and understand like just be composed and play your position. Understand you're in the right position. Just continue to just just continue. You finish the play exactly. Just finish the play. At the end of the day, I would get nervous when that time get to that that end part of the play, and I try to put my hands on them. So I had to go through that 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 fight that that stigma for the longest. But you know, sure. it all it all worked out in the end, as you can say. Man, that, that's the transparent yeah. truth right there. Just what stands out to me is is you guys as a team trusting the process. Tony, you trusting the process of his early development on those cone drills, and where he wasn't the most aggressive kid. Sticking him out in the boundary, trusting the process that his body was going to develop, it's going to get bigger and stronger, even though he didn't matriculate to safety. Um, and then getting the SC, where I agree with you. I think you, I think you got you panicked a little bit, kind of finishing plays, and you did a little grabbing, a little holding, kind of in your younger years at SC. Uh, but just to listen to you embrace that that perspective, that perspective, and that truth about your own game, you really have a looking glass mirror hearing your dad, who sounds like he's totally open with being honest with you and transparent with you about what your positives and what your negatives are. And I just really, really respect that. That's how I try to parent my own son. I think that's, just, I, that's perfect. I think um, my son has been in the spotlight since I can, re- I can remember. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, it's a bigger stage right now, but in his world, he's always been the man. You dig what I'm saying? So when you're the guy, you have so many people telling you how great you are. You need balance. You need somebody to be real with you. And it's not doing me or doing him any favor if I'm not sitting there or not pointing out what his flaws are. The reason he's in this position is because we know what his flaws are. We're working on those flaws today, you know? Amen. So that's what, that's what I've always tried to do is try to, try to be there for my son and be real and, and give an honest criti- a critique, not criticism, but an honest critique on what I think he needs to work on. Uh, going into USC to kind of backtrack a little bit, when he first came into USC and when he committed to USC, I told him, I'm like, it's going to be growing pains for you. I'm like, your game is not tailored for the Pac-12. I'm like, you're an SEC DB. They're not used to seeing anything like you in the Pac-12. So you're going to get penalized physically. And then what your strengths are, it's a hindrance in this, in this, in this, in this conference. It's going to hurt you initially. That's what I told him. I'm like, it's going to hurt you initially. It's going to be a, a, a steep curve for you. But it's going to make you a better player because it's what you're so relying on is the physical grabbiness. You're not going to get paid doing that at the next level. You have to work with your feet. That's right. You have to play fundamentally sound. And so it might hurt you with these calls you're going to get. Because I, I predicted everything that he went through, I predicted. I told him exactly what's going to happen. I'm like, the game is going to be better. You're going to get used. You're going to be used. You're going to be in a great position to cover receivers. But your problem is you're not used to playing high-end quarterbacks. So you have to play to the whistle. Those windows are a lot smaller. They can throw those. They could you just because in in, in seven on seven, Greg, you could be in here and you're covered. You're not covered like that in, in the Pac-12. They still trying to squeeze the ball up in there. They still going to make great plays. Mm-hmm. The great thing about him is even when he was getting beat, he was always in great great position, which told me a lot. You know what I'm saying? It's told me okay, he just need to finish the play. And so when he played, just like I said in this conference, I knew it was going to be an adjustment period. And, but it made him a better player. It made him a better player. And that's what you're seeing right now. So, Big, at what point, and it might still be going on for you, the process, but at what point did the game kind of slow down for you? Because, I, I mean, I remember watching Jack-Jack last year against Penn State, and when he came on the field, he was you could just look at his face, and he was a 1,000 miles an hour, sure. man. He just looked like the game was going so fast. You know, for you, uh, you know, freshman year, uh, in the sophomore year, I personally thought, 
teams picked on Adoree more than you last season. But at what point did you feel the game kind of slowing down for you, not having a collection grab, you're trusting the process, trusting your technique? When did that happen? When did that kind of, you know, from freshman to sophomore year, uh, when did you start to feel like, you know what, I- I'm getting this? Um, I'll say more so just the, the repetition, the constant repetition of just, like you said, beating at your craft. Like, like how Kobe shot a, a, a million them last-minute last shots. It's just the constant repetition that you put yourself in that make you more comfortable when, that, when those times come. That's what it was. It's the constant practice. After putting the extra time and after practice, those are the time in which I feel like the game starts slowing down for me. It wasn't during the game. It was the, the, the time and the hours that I put in that nobody seen, those, those extra hours that you had to put in that helped me transition even better. And, and this kind of takes me back to our last episode of guys holding their kids back. And I talked about how that would never be my decision, but putting the work in, right? Trusting the process, putting the work in, putting in those extra hours. That's where players are developed. They're not developed by holding the guy back a year or back two years. They're developed by the hard work, the running the hills, the constant repetition, the constant focus, the vision, the goals. It's just a loving the work. That's how kids are developed. I've coached three first-round picks. I know. I've seen it at every level. And these guys, Tony and Biggie, they're talking the exact same way that I would talk to one of my players or my own kid. They get it. These guys get it. I'm so glad that you know we're having this conversation. Yeah, Big, I want to backtrack a little bit because I saw a photo maybe a couple years ago about some of the guys from your Snoop League, mm-hmm. and there were some dudes on that team. If you can remember, I mean, I wish I had the photo in front of me to have you just kind of you know pick them out. But off the top of your head, can you remember some of the guys you played with and where are they at now? I mean, was it? I want to say what Jalil, wide dude, yeah, Dross. Oh, we had you had DeAnthony Thomas, John Ross, Jalil Wadu, Nigel Hell. You had the Calhoun family, like. Darren Gardenhire, you had yeah. like on one team you had at least ten people that went D one, ten or twelve people that yeah. went D one. Scooby, Cordell, was on Cordell. Yeah. It was just it was it's loaded. Like a lot of people don't understand how much talent came to that. Was Jeremy on that team too? Jeremy J-Mac? wasn't on that team. He Jeremy. wasn't on that okay. team. He was in the conference. It, yeah. Okay. We had like even just just on one team we had ten, but. Oh, in the conference, in, it was so in the many. League, it was just so, so much. It was so many people. Like I can say, at least twenty to thirty people from that league alone. Like the concentration of talent at that time was just. I'm sorry about that. The concentration of talent was just unreal. It's funny that you bring that up. Manny Ma was just discussing that. What last week? Yeah, we were just discussing how many people that he played with, and uh, just kind of reflecting and looking back at just the different career paths. Yeah, that they end up going like some. It's still in school. Other guys have gotten in trouble. What people don't realize is this, is that when you at USC, you at Florida State, you have programs like this, there's so many things that have to break right for you. You have to be disciplined. You just see the finished product. You don't understand what other little different variables that you avoid. You know what I'm saying? That has to, that has to take place. There's so many kids that he's played with. There's so many kids that he's played with that they started the process, but they were never able to sit there and finish it. Mm. And a lot of that is because lack of discipline, not having a vision, not really believing in yourself that you can actually sit there and attain your goals. And so what makes me more proud of my son is, is that he's here. He's put himself in a position not only to be at a world-class institution like USC and put himself in a position to get a degree, but most importantly, not most importantly, because that's the most important thing for me also, but also put yourself in a position 
where he can make all his dreams come true. And he's been disciplined. No off-the-field issues. Honor roll student. Focus. Understand what the big picture is. That's what, As a father, that's what makes me proud right there. So just moving forward, this year at USC, tell us a little bit about your goals this year at USC, being a junior corner and such high kind of acclaim sitting well, around you. Uh, more so just to focus on each and every day and just try to get better each and every day. That's what I wake up with every mindset each morning is just trying to be better than I was the day before. And, and, and if you continue on that mindset, then everything will play out in the end. That's what it's all about. It's about the patience and the virtue with, and appreciating the patience and enjoying the process and falling in love with the process, not just looking too far ahead of the game. Just each and every day just being thankful because I, I, I came across a lot of people that's not having the opportunity and being put in the position that I'm in. So I just just look at that and be like, dang, I, I'm blessed to be able to have the opportunity to possibly do make dreams come true for myself and and, 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 and do a lot with a lot of people this year. So I'm excited to see how we, we, we turn out this year. And we just going as a team, just focus on each and every day and try to get better and be better than we were the day before. I can't let you go. And this thing I could do, this is like talking to Coach Rollins. I was telling you, Tony, man, we talked talk to Coach Rollins. I know you have a lot of respect for him for about yeah. 30 minutes. We come on for like five hours with that guy. It was insane. Wow. The guy could feel like we can, we can go forever here, but I can't let you go. Uh, without talking a little bit about your recruitment process, yeah. and and obviously you picked USC, you were the first guy to do a Bleacher Report video, and now everyone's kind of copying you. I kind of mentioned before, you know, watching you in Seven on Seven, man, you were the first guy to just baptize kids, man. You were putting guys on their back, and now go to a Seven on Seven, but everyone's trying to be you, yeah. and and. It, honestly, uh, sometimes it's kind of annoying because you could cover. These guys can't. So that's their way of trying to cover by grabbing them and holding and collection. Yeah. But uh, just I, I always thought you were going to USC. You know, first I talked to you before you got savvy. You got, you got real savvy, got real savvy. <laughs> junior and senior year. But when I first talked to you as an eighth grader, you're like, oh, USC. USC. You're all about USC. But you took all your trips. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Michigan, Florida State. Uh, who Alabama. am I? You took your trip? Nah, no, I took LSU. LSU. Well, LSU. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to go to Oregon. Yeah. But uh, – did you ever have any doubt? I mean, was there ever – I mean, was it always SC or was there – did one school, uh, Transparent Truth Big, was there a school in Michigan or uh, Bama? Did you ever think, you know what, maybe I should go there. I know your pop was talking about SCC and how your game is kind of conducive to that. But uh, was there ever a close second choice for you? be honest with you, it was a couple – like they all, they all gave – like found my heart in different ways. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like LSU, I found it because it, it just felt like home. It was a family. It, was, it just felt like a family, family atmosphere. Atmosphere, exactly yeah. like that. So, well, Michigan, it was just beautiful, gorgeous. It gave you everything that you wanted from the football wise, from the institution and the education and network and all those type of things to the Notre Dame. It, it done the same. So I say it all. It, it all played its part, and they all they all had they 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 influences on me and whatnot. He was about to commit to LSU. Get out, Tony. <laughs> Tony, there it is. This is this transparent truth this right is the here? transparent truth. Dude, tell that story, Tony. I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> we take a trip to LSU, right? Yep. <laughs> we take a trip to LSU. Just like I said, LSU is a beautiful campus. Most importantly, like the DB coach is one of the preeminent coaches in, at his position in college football. Football. Coach Raymond. Yeah. Coach Raymond. Um. He's hanging out with a 
something like Heritage Hall, Heritage Hall, LSU has a big, a big place where all like this was a big weekend for LSU, big recruiting weekend for LSU. Nina Fournette, I think, was his, his guy, his, his one of the guys that was recruit. I mean, was one of the guys. I had, that was Jay, Mills. I had Jay Mills as my host. Jay Mills was his host. They ended up going first round this past year. Um, so we seeing him. He's hanging out with all the LSU guys and the recruits. You know what I'm saying? With Kevin Tolliver, yeah. uh, Dante Jackson. They yeah. all there. They all hanging Jay out, just sucking and jiving, having a great time. And so he come up, run up to me, just excited. Dad, Dad, <laughs> I think I want to commit. I'm like, commit to where? And I'm, I'm thinking about committing to LSU. <laughs> I'm like, Iman, if you don't calm your butt down, boy, and take your time, you throw this whole process. I'm like, you in a haze. You enjoying yourself. Chill out. So as he's doing that, he go run back to him. He go run back to the whole group because the whole DB group, LSU DB group out there also. Oh, yeah. Everybody. So they just put on the whole show. They got him. So I'm looking. So they all together. And I'm sitting back looking. And as I'm looking at all, my son with all these guys, I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my son. And I can't find him amongst all these DBs. And the reason I can't find him, because they all look alike. They're all 6'1", 6'2", 175, 195. They all look exactly alike. And I called him mine back over there too. I'm like, hey, man, come here, man. Are you seeing what I'm looking at? <laughs> no, he's just happy. You know, all the pretty girls running around. He's just standing. He just can't stay focused. You know what I'm saying? So I look. I'm like, look. Look at all these guys out here. They all look like you. There won't be nothing special about you here. You can get lost in the mix. I'm like, go back to the West Coast. Go back to the West Coast where there's nothing like you. you you're a dime a dozen here. So if you get hurt, you get in a doghouse. You just get lost in the mix. I'm like, so if you want to commit here, I'm all for it. But I'm like, take your time. Take the emotions out of it. And understand that this is a business decision also. So that's how that ended up playing out. But he wanted to commit to LSU. See, I've been to LSU three times. I've never seen girls like that before. Oh, so that oh that light, God. I don't know how to even describe them. Yeah, like, Creole, is that how you say it? Creole? Oh, my God. Yeah. You got that Krispy Kreme complexion? <laughs> Mike Anderson has Shout the out best. to my wife. Shout yeah, out to Mike Oh, you got one? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. 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 <laughs> got all that gumbo mixed okay. up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Beautiful mix. Beautiful mix. Yeah. Shrimp and grits. Mike Anderson's out of all that, you know, 15 years in the Nike Camp Tour at LSU, Mike Anderson's, the best, I don't do seafood, but at that place, I, there was nothing like it. Oh, my God. Nothing so like wild. it at all. You've been there. Like that. That's what we said. Hey, every trip is like, where do you take the recruits? That's where we want to go for yeah. dinner. Take us where do you take, take the recruits. The, exactly. Mike Anderson's, Baton like Rouge. I'm about to nothing go like again. it at all. Yeah. Nothing like it. So, 2017 is here. Yeah. SC's projected top three, top five. Biggie Marshall's one of the top prospects in the nation. In terms of the NFL draft, you go out, you get five picks, you get 15 deflections. Season ends, SC wins the national title. Is it time to go to the NFL? Transparent truth, Biggie. That ass will not be that, that will not be put on put on put on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all we had to ask the question. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll answer for you, Biggie. When you were nine years old, you had a dream to play in the NFL. If it's right in front of you, pops, Tony. If he's got a chance to go first round, second round. We trying to. What we doing? What we doing? Hits for free. We talked about getting those hits for free. We trying to be the number one corner coming out. Okay. That's our. That's what we're doing. That's, that's the bar right there. We was the number one DB coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Why not be the number one DB when it's time for us to go out for college? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But we're everything is fluid, and we're taking it day by day, time by game by game and we just focus this is an honor this is honest we've always just focused at the task at hand 
all that other stuff will play itself out. We can't worry about that stuff right now, man. We need to worry about getting his degree. We need to worry about winning the championship. We need to worry about getting the Thorpe Award, yeah. All-American, getting our placard on the wall. That's what we're playing for. We're trying to be a, trying to leave a legacy. legacy. Beautiful. That's legacy. what we're trying to play for legacy. right there. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we're working on right now. The NFL stuff, that stuff will work itself out at the hey, end of the day. So, Tony, keep the mic. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. Uh, so Keith mentioned, you know, a lot of dads of recruits, of, of potential perspective, I can't speak right now, uh, listen to the show. Okay. And I, I thought the way you handled the recruitment, again, I want to be able if you can, you know, give some advice to those dads because the way you handled it, it, it was so streamlined. It ran through you. Yeah. You know, this is the number one DB. I think it was our number one overall player, period, regardless of position. It was him and Josh. Yeah. Uh, he was, there was never any circus-type atmosphere with him. He didn't, it wasn't a knucklehead on Twitter. Um, you handled it so well. If you can, talk about the game plan, how you had certain nights for certain things, and, and what was the whole process like, and then why did you choose to do it that way? Well, the reason I chose to do it that way, first and foremost, is that, like I said, I've seen a process before. I've seen it happen before me. And I've always seen the kids, especially high-profile kids, be so burnt out at the end of the day because there was no filter. There was nobody between them, the writers, the scouts. The kids had to, was, were getting bombarded with so many different things from so many different angles, and I don't want my son to have to go through that. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what I did. I made sure that everything had to be funneled through me. I wanted him just to focus on Going to school and enjoying his senior year. I don't want him to have to worry about, do I have to pick up this phone or chuck, turn my phone off? Or I don't want him being bombarded unnecessarily with all that stuff. I feel like this as a father, and eventually y'all, y'all will be in the same position I'm in one day with your children, that you're the head of the household. Everything still runs through you. There's no reason a grown man should have unfettered access at your child. They're still kids. No matter how profile or how grown they may look, they're still minors. So why are grown men having, in any, in any other situation, you would never allow a grown person just to have easy access to your child. So why is this any different? I've I, I never felt real comfortable with that. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to make sure it went through me instead. And it leads me to a, a tweet that I put out earlier this week. And I said, you know, my six-year-old, I don't let photos be taken of him. Um, he's not allowed to be interviewed. He's not allowed to be videoed. I agree. Um, I heard him tell one of his teammates, I already got an offer to a private high school, <laughs> and I made him do 25 up-downs on should. the spot right then and there. As you right? should. Again, you don't deserve access to my six-year-old, and you're not going to get it. six. Yeah. But, but there's six-year-olds now who want to be YouTube. I don't want – he doesn't need a marketing campaign at six years, at old. Six years old. You don't. I don't need it at 16. You don't. We want the work. We don't want the hype. Because all that would play itself out in the long run. No question. Iman, all the flash, his foundation was solid. It's because of the hard work. You've seen it, Greg. Greg, you followed my son. The first. The first. You was one of the first interviews, if not the first. You've seen the whole process from its beginning to the end. So you know how it plays out. I didn't want, like you said, there's no reason... A six-year-old, 16-year-old should be worried about a, a, a PR campaign. It will play itself out. If you're that guy, you're going to get all the accolades anyway. You don't need to sit there and, and, and create something artificially. But Tony, if, if you can, if you remember, detail. 
I mean, you were specific. You had like I forgot what it was, like Tuesday nights. I'm just making up a date. Yeah, yeah. But you had a specific. I mean, if you give me the blueprint, what was the nights and how you know, how it all worked out that way? Like, I'll make sure if you wanted to speak to my son, it would be a certain day. So let's just say Wednesday. I don't remember specifically right yeah. now. It seems so far away, yeah. but it would be Wednesday between seven and eight. I would have the riders call. On Thursdays, I would have the teams call. You know what I'm saying? If you want to talk to him. Thursday, because it's so many, I'm sorry, because it's so many other teams, I would have them call them Thursday or Friday. I get them Thursday or Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, between 6 to 9, because he needed to focus on school. And so that's what I did. I made sure that we had a set plan. We had we had a calendar, and I wanted to make sure, just like I said, everything ran through me. I didn't want my son, I wanted my son to be fresh at the end of the process. And he was fresh because I see how cynical these kids could go, how jaded. And the worst thing you do is they get so used to having all these people, all these getting accosted. I'm not going to say accosted is the wrong word, but getting approached Mm -hmm. by so many different writers that then they started coming off as unsurly. They start coming off as jerks yeah. just because they just tired of the process and ain't so much that they're jerks it's just like oh I got to do this again it's become it, it, it becomes real repetitive monotonous to these kids and they prefer to be doing they're still kids they prefer to be hanging out with their guys on sure. Instagram sure you know what I'm saying they'd rather do that and go, instead of having to sit there and have interviews over and over it becomes a job for them and I don't want that to be a job I wanted them to have a passion I like that hey Biggie a couple of quick hitters for you this is kind of fun questions it could be high school, could be USC, whatever. But just the first thing pops in your head. Who was the best player you ever played with? Best player you ever played with? Actually, let's go high school. Who's the best high school player you ever played with? Of course. I'm going to have to say my boy Juju, Juju Jack. Smith. And Jack Jack. Yeah. What about the best player you ever played against? Keep it high school. John under. Ross. John Ross. Yeah. Okay, let's go USC. Best teammate you ever had? They are great. Give me one, big. They are great. Come on now. They are great. But who's the who's the toughest receiver you've ever had to guard? In what high school? Uh, let's go. Let's go USC right now. Uh, they all have. They all. They all have their list names. They all have. They all they strengths. Strength. Weaknesses. weaknesses. There wasn't one guy that just like man, this guy's kind of tough. This guy's pretty talented. Nah, but you because you get used to him each and every day. You start getting, getting accustomed to him. What about Juju? I mean, you guys go way back. How, how fun was it competing with? This is my last one for you, kids. I know you want to jump into. Uh, Talk about just you guys been together for a long time, going head to head. I saw the the videos you guys doing, you know the whole you know Oklahoma drills. What's uh what's it been like training with him, against him, competing against him? I know you guys obviously made each other better, right? Iron sharpens iron. You guys obviously competed hard for the last five years. You know it's always competitive. You, that's what you want. You want like you said, it's iron sharpens iron, and that's what we that's what we try to get out of. We want the best out of each other, so that's what we try to come out there and compete with one another and give give each other the best. You know, I win some days, he wins, he wins some the others. But, you know, it's a competitive nature within us, and that's what we continue to uh, put for, push forward. Who wins more big? You want more than he wants. Come on, want. Come on gotta win more. Okay, just got to make sure. Just got to make sure. <laughs> so, so my last question, and because I can relate to you guys' story so much, Tony and Biggie, I'm going to give you this opportunity. What has your dad meant to you internally throughout this whole process? I meant the world. He's somebody that I can find in outside of just the football aspect of it, but most importantly, the football aspect. Like, I can talk to him about all every all the issues that I'll be going through and stuff like that, and I appreciate him for being there and everything like that. It, it means a lot, man. And if it, without him, I don't know where how I would have handled the whole situation or where I would be at right now, so I thank him a lot. Shout out to all the Yeah, much respect, Tony, because I mean, you're talking on the way here. There's, I, those 20-plus years, I've seen some guys – 
that were maybe even better athletically than, yeah. but you never heard of them. So they didn't have a dad like you yeah. that was involved yeah. in the classroom, outside the classroom, on the football field, pushing them. So, so much respect for you and, and a lot of dads. I mean, we talk about LeVar Ball. Yeah. And you know what? His kids are 4.0 students go playing major college basketball. And right. so, I, so much respect for you and all Thank that you've you. done. And that's what I, you know, kind of wrap this up because I know we need to wrap this up. Um, that's the thing that I've always seen in common is that all the high overachieving kids got one thing in common. They all have strong, strong male role models, whether it's a father or somebody in their life. That's so instrumental. That's very, very. So big up to you, Keith. Greg, I know how you, you got four <laughs> great ones. You got one in college right now. You have another. You have two young ones. You have a, like you're doing a great job. I appreciate, awesome. I appreciate, appreciate y'all, it. man. Real talk. So want to thank you guys for joining us, Biggie, Tony. It was, it was an honor and a pleasure. I didn't know where I was on the, the, the Biggie fan scale. Coming over here, but you guys won me over. There's no question. Thank you. Man, I appreciate y'all coming out, taking the time out your day, too, man. Thank y'all a lot. Appreciate y'all. Let's go with a Heisman, big. Can we Let's, do that? Can we do that? Can we be the first? Can you ask to play hell? Can you do some offensive? Dude? Say, well, we already eight. got a Heisman on there. We got Sam Donald, the greatest quarterback in the nation. Sam's a man. But, hey, say, coach, I played quarterback in eighth grade. Give me some offensive snaps. <laughs> I got some game. Uh, that would be dope. <laughs> that would be dope. But, you know, we got a Heisman already in contention. You know, Sam Donald, the best quarterback we'll in the nation. We'll go with the Thor. Thor's good enough. That's what we're going to go get that. <laughs> thank you very thank much. You, Tony, Biggie, Marshall, thank you for joining the Transparent Cube. Thank y'all. So, Life After Death with Biggie and Tony Marshall. What a great interview, Greg. And like I said, I mean, if you're a single dad, if you're a dad with a mother involved, if you're grandparents, I mean, that was just, there was so much knowledge about how to handle the process from young all up through the, and Biggie's mark, his recruitment could have been a circus if the dad allowed it to be. And the way he handled his whole whole deal and learning from how it came from the bottom where he was Biggie because he was a pudgy little fat kid. Now he, where he's at now, that, that was just some great, great stuff. And that's why I coined it life after death. So the, the death part is what, when you're new. And, and that newness brings a lot of fear. It brings a lot of pain. It brings a lot of adversity. And be able to fight through that, trust the process, really keep your nose to the ground and grind and fight through all the pain to be where he is now, a potential first-round draft pick. It's that life after death. The life is the growth. The death is the pain. You got to go through death. You got to die first before you can grow and be who you want to be. So shout out to Biggie and Tony Marshall. Love self awareness, right? The man, self. Oh. We talk. I talk to kids every day who have zero self awareness. Oh man! And just them being honest about, you know what? I held a lot. Yeah. And the dad said, you know what? This is going to happen. You're yeah. going to a conference where they throw a lot of flags. Yep. And just the just the just the again the honesty was something that I was pleasantly surprised by. Just I'm so used to talking to people that don't have that kind of self awareness. Embracing that reflectiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the depth of the conversation and the. Um, the accountability, the yep. accountability, Greg. A ton of people, a ton of kids, parents. We miss accountability. Those guys were accountable for their actions. They were accountable for their mistakes. Accountable for how they saw themselves in their moment of truth. Um, I just really, really appreciate it. So shout out to those guys. Yeah, great absolutely. interview, and it's been one hell of a show, man. Dude, we could. We, it was like three hour show today. Man, it feels felt like, like it was. Maybe a little bit over an hour. Just too much good stuff. C- can't cut anything else. The time's got to go long. Hey, we got to wrap this baby up. But hey, Let's we do it. appreciate you guys for following along and jumping on board with the transparent truth. Without further ado, social media drops. Coach Keith underscore MP on Twitter at Greg Biggins. Pretty difficult to remember at Greg Biggins on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram Trans Truth seven one four or on Twitter our Twitter page Trans Truth ninety two. But without further ado, time to wrap this thing up, bring it to a close. 
I'm your man, Coach Keith, getting ready to sign off. Mount, there goes that man. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. <laughs>